0: family, friends, onlookers, inquirers, whoever you are, wherever you are, may the Lord bless you today. Uh, I'm going to give a little extended preamble so that we can just make sure that the sound you're hearing is consistent. I know we've had some sound problems today and if they're continuing, then it will be better to just pause now and try an alternative hookup whilst you bear with us. Um, And so if you guys can just comment in wherever you are, on the chat or in WhatsApp or whatever, um, and let us know if the sound is good and it's stable, then that's cool. Um, Otherwise, we'll sort that out. What's the feedback saying? All right, so far? Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Yes, so first Sunday of the year. It's a blessing to be sharing with you. Um, We have very much (laughs) been in prayer, and it's, you know, um, maybe somewhat characteristic of just how our morning started with much prayer um, as Harriet was um, opening the service for us. yeah, much need for prayer. It's been quite a year, and everybody's saying that, and you know, you've know, you got people who are not even bothering to do a year in review because it's like, what is there to say about the year that's good, etc., etc. Um, but there's no doubt that throughout the course of the year, it's had impact on us individually, corporately, as Christians, as a local church, um, as the body of Christ globally, just as the pandemic has affected the whole world, every country, um, all over the world, to some extent or another. And there's no doubt that at a time like this, we can kind of feel maybe um, somewhat disoriented at best, um, disillusioned, um, and even just disheartened, depressed and discouraged and all the other kind of deeds you can think of. And so in view of that, um, my desire is to help us as we enter into 2021. There's no doubt that it looks like it may get worse before it gets better. And so, I'm not going to be here, um, you know, gassing you up, blowing smoke, and like, this is your year. I noticed that people aren't really posting that, Insta and in their places, stepping into 2021, like, and all the memes and so on. That's not really happening, because people are quite sober at this point, as we're stepping out of 2020 into 21. And so, what, do, what should we anticipate? What should we expect? How should we approach this year? Especially in view of the baggage that we're bringing out of 2020. And so, my prayer is that as we look at Luke 19, verses 11 to 27, we will be encouraged with some helpful perspective and a real sense of, for those who are in Christ, your place in God's purpose. Your place in God's purpose. Um, God is so faithful. And despite the year you've had, I don't need to know the details of the year that you've had. Despite the year that you've had, you have a place in God's purpose going into 2021. And that has not been derailed. That has not been sidelined. That has not been diverted through the course of 2020, even though it may feel like it. 2020 might feel like it was the enemy of progress, but Jesus has defeated the enemy. And so let's look at, Luke 19, and we're looking at verses 11 to 27, and then I'll pray. It's the parable of the ten miners. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants he gave them 10 minors and said to them engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned having received the kingdom he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business the first came before him saying Lord your miner has made 10 miners more and he said to him well done good servant because you have been faithful in a very little you shall have authority over 10 cities and the second came saying Lord your miner has made five miners. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your miner, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, question mark. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has the ten miners? And they said to him, Lord, he has ten miners." I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, you who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that you are superior in every way, and you are not subject to the circumstances and um, conditions of life. You are over and above them. And as we look to your word, we recognize that your word is an expression of your very self. It is constant and true regardless. And we take comfort and encouragement from that just as much as we are challenged. Because as we look to your word, we get a sense of who you are and what your heart is for your people and for this world in which we live. And so, Lord, we pray that today you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, that, Lord, you would give us hearts that are responsive to you, and that you would help us as we seek to receive your word with thanksgiving and apply it to our hearts and lives by your spirit. And so we ask this in your name. Amen. So, this is one of the the parables of the kingdom, and in verse 1 of chapter 19, we read that Jesus was passing through Jericho, and the incident with Zacchaeus, the famous incident where he's met with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus has climbed up the tree, and the Lord has called out to him and said, Zacchaeus! I mean, this is that classic children's church Sunday school story. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, for today I'm going to your house. And everybody's grumbling because he was a tax collector, and extortioner, and nobody liked him in the community. He was an outcast and a, and a, and a, and a, and a, a feared and hated individual. And yet Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, and in going to his house, Zacchaeus received him, not just in his home, but in his heart. And we see there, in verse 8 of chapter 19, Zacchaeus's response to the Lord. 19 verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Verse 10. And so, in this, this event's just taken place. And so, as we get into verse 11, those who were journeying with Jesus, his disciples and onlookers, um, had heard this encounter. And as they heard this encounter with Zacchaeus, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and they thought that the kingdom of God, they thought that this was it. I mean, we see from verse 28, and you can look at that after, you don't have to turn there, that Jesus makes a triumphant entry into Jerusalem, a passage known as the triumphal entry. And so by this point in his life and ministry, People were excited about him. People were making a noise about him. People would really began to see that this man is not just any ordinary man. There were those who were beginning to appreciate that this man is the promised Messiah as predicted by the scriptures. There were others who were recognizing that this man is a prophet of God. And yet, the people were bubbling and bustling in response to Jesus at this point in his ministry. And based on their understanding of the scriptures and their understanding of the Old Testament, as limited as it was, they thought this is the point when the king's going to ride into the the capital. He's going to take over the rule and subdue all his enemies. And this is the kingdom come. And so Jesus had to correct their misconception. He had to correct their sense of um, misunderstood timing as it relates to God's will and purpose. He told them this parable in order to help them understand more clearly the will and purpose of God. Not just in terms of the will of God, but in terms of the when of God very important lesson in our lives as believers, that actually God's will and God's when are two different things. And sometimes we're expecting God's will to be performed right now or when we want, just like these people were. And sometimes God's got to say to us, no, 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 no. My will is certain. There are certain things that are going to happen, but they may not happen right now in your lifetime, in your experience. But you can be certain that they will take place if it be according to my word. Because one thing we ought to have learned as people seeking God, God's word, the scriptures, the holy Bible, is his will. Anything outside of that, is not his will. It's not verified. It might correspond with, it might agree with the scriptures, it might be in line with the scriptures, but you cannot have, you cannot stake your life on it in the way that we are to stake our lives on the word of God. They're supplementary, whether it's academic learning, whether it's theological learning and theories and concepts and views and positions, whether it's Uh, ethnicity and identity, whatever these things are outside of the scriptures, they are supplementary. They are peripheral. The word of God is the main thing. And so God's word is his will. And yet God's will isn't necessarily our when. The kingdom is coming. As we go into 2021, 2021, It's important that we understand that the kingdom is coming. And, you know, I feel that we kind of are plagued with the, um, I want to say the vestiges, the trappings, the baggage of the prosperity gospel. That has made it seem as though everything that God's promised in his will is for now. And in technical terms, we call that an over-realized eschatology. There are certain things that God has promised for the, the appearing of the eternal kingdom when Jesus returns. And some of those things we get a glimpse of now. But we will have complete fulfillment of all of those things at that point. You know, people will claim healing and wealth, and prosperity, and, and dominion now. <coughs> we may see glimpses of that as a foretaste of glory divine. But yet, the reality is that not until Jesus comes will we see that in an unbroken, unrestricted, unregulated fashion. And so our hope and our trust in the Lord isn't meant to merely be for the now. It isn't meant to merely be for the 2021 that is ahead of us. And some of us feel like we've been, you know, shipwrecked through 2020. You might have made investments um, financially that went south. Emotionally, you may have invested academically and you might have... Given yourself to things, you might have given yourself to a relationship that just seemed like it's going nowhere through lockdown because you've been hardly able to interact and feeling hard done by, feeling, Lord, I thought that 2020 was my year. And the Lord says in response, 2020 was my year, as is 2021 and every year to come when was this ever all about you your life is not your own and hopefully this is something that comes clear through this parable that we look at so God's will and God's win is two different things and you may be believing God for all kinds of promises that are consistent with his word and you may not see them in 2021 just as you may not have seen it in 2020 that's okay God is faithful he will fulfill his word. Uh, Please don't get drawn out and sucked in and led astray by those prosperity um, preachers who would have you think that everything is meant. It's funny because, you know, the scriptures say that the lion will lie down with the lamb. How is it that we're not claiming that now? How is it that we're not you know, walking out into the lion's den and just lying down and being like, yes, I'm a lamb of God. This lion will not touch me. You've got people that have, even in the face of COVID, these people have said, "Ah, oh, you know what? I'm impervious to this. I'm immune from it. The blood of Christ is upon me. They've not exercised wisdom. And as a result, they have died. These are um, ministers of the Lord. And so, please, let's exercise wisdom and recognize that God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They will all, every single one of them, be fulfilled, even if it's not in our lifetime, in our experience. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. That doesn't mean that God hasn't purposed progress for us. And this parable helps us to that end. Because in this we see a nobleman or a ruler, we see servants, and we see citizens. Three groups of characters. And he calls his servants, this nobleman is going away to, to, to receive a, a, a kingdom. And so that basically means, um, you know what? So, um, thank you. In the U.S., they've had an election and the election election concluded i don't know december and yet they have what's now known as a president elect president biden elect president elect biden i should say and he now has to wait for the transition of power and the formal inauguration into the presidency before he is recognized as the president, he has certain limited powers at this point, and obviously, in view of the circumstances, he's been having to clear up all of the claims of uh, a, a false election or you know a fraudulent election. but in in the process of clearing that up, he is recognized as the president-elect, and once he's inaugurated he will be officially and formally the president. And so that's the kind of situation that you see here. Somebody who is appointed in principle, and and they are now going to receive the the, the formal confirmation. And this was common in the Roman Empire, as was ruling at this time. Somebody would be appointed to an outpost region, and they may have to go to Rome and, and receive their formal recognition, and then return with that in order for their power to be um, fully implemented and recognized. So, that's what was going on here. And it's, it's recognized, actually, that as Jesus was saying this, this was actually consistent with social commentary of his time. Because there was a ruler, I think his name was Archelaus, or Archelius, who was going off to um, Rome to be recognized during this season uh, as a ruler and the people really didn't like him and so Jesus was taking example from their own experience socially and politically to speak into their um, world spiritually and in the process of going he calls his servants and he gives them one minor each and we know it's one minor each by the way in which they came back and said Lord, you're minor. And so there were 10 servants. Three of them returned. We don't know what happened to the others, and that's not really the point of the parable. Um, The parables are not meant to be a, a, a cryptic, hidden, precise code that we're supposed to unravel every aspect of it. There's a central point that we're meant to take away from it. And so let's not get caught up in the weeds. Three servants, one minor each. <clears throat> and the servants come to him. The first one comes back. Lord, your miner has made ten more. The second, yours has made five more. And people have likened this to the parable of the talents. It's a similar parable, but it's different. And one of the key differences that you may know is that actually in the parable of the talents, It says that the master gave to each one according to his ability, and to one he gave two, and to another he gave five, and to another he gave one. And so in this, all of them received the same unit of value. Each one of them received a single unit of value. And so a similar point, but a different focus. The theme is faithfulness. And yet faithful with what? In the Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents there, it focuses on, if you like, the things that we have, that we've been bestowed based on our individual uniquenesses. And so we might consider that based on our time, our treasure, and our talents. Those things that God has put at our disposable, disposal that we're able to use for him. But here, they all receive the same unit of value. They all receive the same thing. And so the question is, what is that? Now, if we want to um, understand this parable, then we've got to look at the parable of the sower in order to understand This parable that we're looking at and any parable. Because in the parable of the sower, we see the Lord decode the principle of all parables. If we look at Mark chapter 4, and the parable of the sower is in Luke, it's in Matthew 13, it's in Luke 8, Matthew 13, and in Mark 4. But I'm going to go with Mark 4. Um, I won't, for the sake of time, unravel all of the parable in its um, lead up, but I'll read it in its explanation, and that will be sufficient for now. So Mark 4, and we'll look at verses 10 to 20. this is going to help us to answer what is it that the servants were given? So, um, Mark 4, 10 to 20. And Mark 4, 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Verse 13, how then will you understand all the parables? Notice, this, this, this parable is the golden key to un- unlock and understand all of the parables. Verse 14, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then... When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, and a hundred-fold. Or 30%, 60%, and a hundred percent. Say it in those terms. And so, we see in this, something is distributed or shared out. Um, There is a a level of receptivity and then there is a response to that and that which is distributed and shared verse 13 sorry verse 14 is the word of god the different ground that the word was sown onto as seed represents different heart conditions so the path the hard heart, the rocky ground where it's got some soil, but it's also very stony. um, And then you've got thorny um, ground, and then you've got good soil. And so they represent different heart conditions. And the heart condition that um, produced the result that was desired, the true result, the real result, was the final one not just because it received the word all of them heard the word well maybe apart from the first one where they didn't really have a chance because satan came to steal it but the remainder all heard the word there is an extent to which they all accepted it in fact when we look at um those who were sown on rocky ground in verse 16 It says that they heard it and received it with joy. And so hearing it and receiving it, even with joy, isn't the definitive outcome that we're supposed to be encouraged and impressed by, that we're to learn from. But actually, that which was sown into good soil was heard, was accepted, and bore fruit. Before I even flip back to Luke 19, which kind of soil are you? Which kind of soil is your heart? Are you someone who has heard the word and, and received it into your life, but it was sown among thorns in that the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches And the desire for other things has come into your life and diverted your commitment and attention to the Lord? Has diverted and distracted your response to his word? You know it. You've heard it. You can probably even quote it. But other things have become more important to you than his word? Are you someone who has a a stony heart? And you're happy to hear it. Maybe you've heard that prosperity gospel. Thinking that God exists for you. And he's going to make you healthy, wealthy and wise. But when you experience some hard times. And you hear, experience some persecution. You, you discard it because that's not what you signed up for. That's not the true word of God that you've received. That's not the true gospel of Christ. Or maybe by some chance of God's providence you're hearing this right now and yet you're a hard-hearted person and you've got no time for God or his gospel no time for Jesus no time for the scriptures you are on your own agenda you have your own ideologies that you subscribe to and even at the at the consideration of beginning to contemplate, could this Jesus be true? Could this scripture be real? That thought is even snatched away by a competing thought of which Satan is the author. It's important that if you're in any of those categories, that you come to terms with the fact that God's word is his will. And God said his word will go out and it will not return empty. It will accomplish what it's been sent to do. His word is true. And if you are prepared to receive it by faith. And respond to it wholeheartedly. You will bring forth fruit in your life that will be pleasing to God. Because. That is the key thing in the parable of the sower, that actually the only one that was pleasing was the one that actually produced fruit. And this is what we see in our parable as we go back to Luke 19. In the response of the servants, we have the faithful, the less faithful, and the unfaithful. The first one was faithful they had received that minor, that unit of value, which I would put to you as being the good news of Christ. The, 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 the word of the kingdom, as it's spoken of in Luke 8. It's not just the word of God in a generic sense. It's not just the things that people say that God has said. But it is the good news concerning Christ When the the, the scriptures speak and the gospel speak of the gospel of the kingdom. A kingdom is not a kingdom without a king. In Mark chapter 1 verse 14 it says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That the kingdom of God is at hand. And to anybody hearing that they would have understood that that spoke of the rule of God, the reign of God. And, and the, the, the promise and providence of God under such circumstances. And so, the first one received the minor and was faithful to, to fulfill the master's wishes. In verse 15 of Luke 19, he called. his servants that he might know what they had gained by doing business so he was holding them to account for what he had charged them or, or instructed them or commissioned them to do he had said to them engage in business until I come and so those who were Faithful or even less faithful had done that. They had taken what they had received and they had done business with it to see an increase. And the Lord was pleased with that. There was some evidence of their obedience, of the submission, of their response to his rule as their master. And yet the last servant, He had not done that. And this was based on him having a wrong view of the master. That servant said, verse 21 I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And so basically, he did not think that the master was fair. He felt like the master was profiting of his hard work. That the master wanted something from him that he, the master did not deserve. You ever feel like that? Maybe you're coming out of 2020 and feeling like God's not fair. I had all of these opportunities and prospects lined up. I had all of these hopes and aspirations going into the year. And yet, God could have changed things. God could have sorted it out. God could have made it so that it worked out in my favor. And yet, the Lord expects me to be honest and faithful and to hold Christian convictions and behave in a manner that's consistent with his will? What's the point when I don't get anything out of it? What's the point when the things that I want don't happen? When I done some studies at Oak Hill, um, the um, principal at that point was... um, brother called mike ovey who has since gone to be with the lord and such a profound and godly man and there was one phrase that he used to use at time in class that really has stuck with me and he said that fundamentally as people we are inherently curved in on ourselves and i remember at the first when i heard that i i I was struggling to kind of get the idea of what was he, what did he mean curved in on ourselves? And yet, I, I learned to appreciate the reality of that, fundamentally saying that we are fundamentally self-centered. We are for ourselves first. And in this, we see that the unfaithful servant had that sense to him. To them, that there was a sense in which they felt as though they, they were entitled to a better deal, they were entitled to more, and they had the wrong perspective of the master. Now, here are a few ways in which this servant had the wrong perspective of the master. Firstly, they had forgotten how they became a servant. They had forgotten the fact that they actually were a servant. Maybe it was a step up for them to be now doing business on behalf of the master. There's a certain authority that comes with that, there's a certain status that comes with that. And maybe that servant kind of got lost in that. Oh, I've got status now. I'm not just sweeping out the animal um, stalls or doing the housekeeping, I'm now doing business for the master. And yet, most servants of that time ended up being servants because of an inability to pay debt or as a result of punishment for crime. They may have committed petty crimes and therefore were um, given to servitude to make up for that. And so it's quite possible that for either of those reasons or others, that this servant was in this position of being a servant to this ruler. That actually this servant owed the master and wasn't in a place to be able to negotiate terms and conditions. And so was misguided in the sense of entitlement. I think also that the servant lost sight of the fact that not only was their life sustained by the master, There are those people who chose to be servants as a bond servant because their masters were so good and gave them such a good deal that they would pledge themselves, their commitment, their undying lifelong commitment to that master because they were living better with their master than they would have been on their own. In the original language, they generally use a different word For that type of servant known as a bond servant. But even if this were a bond servant, maybe they lost sight of the fact that the master is good to them. Is that where you're at today? You've lost sight of the fact that actually you are indebted to the Lord with a debt that you can't pay, that we have committed crimes against God. And as a result, he deserves nothing less than our lifelong commitment and submission. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we have violated his will. We have violated his commandments and we do so consistently. And God in his holiness ought to cremate us as we stand. And we might feel that's quite unfair. And again, we're we're losing the the, the true appreciation for the dynamics of this relationship. God who made us and gave us the life that we have, the breath that we breathe, the, the food that we eat, our lives are not only derived from, but completely and utterly sustained by God. And yet we want to say that We want to be able to do what we want with our lives and claim that God is unfair. Regardless of the freedoms that the Lord may give us, regardless of the authorization that the Lord may give us, that doesn't make us entitled before God. God doesn't owe us anything. And so these may be reasons why the servant lost sight of who the master really is. I think that from the, the master's response to the first two faithful servants, it also suggests that that final servant questioned the goodness of the master. Was the, is the master really good? Am I really going to be benefited by this? Is he just going to extract all of the profit from my efforts and just leave me there sitting under a tree, eating husks? You see, from the evidence of the master's response to the first two servants, we see that the master is good. Not only did the master acknowledge and affirm those faithful servants. And we know, as individuals, the power of approval and affirmation. It might be from our parents. It might be from our boss. It might be from our spouse. It might be from our friends and peers. But there is a certain kind of encouragement that we receive, a certain sense of significance that we feel When we are affirmed by others. And so the master affirmed these servants. The faithful servants. And yet he went on to reward them. Not just recognize them. But reward them. And reward them with rewards greater than that which they gained. They said. We've given you. Ten minors for your one. Or five minors for your one. And. The master gave them cities. Such is the goodness of God that our meager, paltry efforts weren't great reward in his eyes. And so you might be feeling like the unfaithful servant. You know what? This is long. Because me trying to live out here as a Christian isn't really benefiting me at all. I just feel like I'm being set back. I just feel like I'm being um, downgraded, overlooked. In fact, I'm getting stick and I'm getting ridiculed from my peers. And yet, God says, I see you. I see you shining. In just a little while, you will get your reward. Because remember, the master went away just as Jesus has ascended into heaven and yet the master came back to settle accounts and to reward the faithful just as Jesus is coming back to settle accounts to reward the faithful. And so, don't be discouraged if you've received the gospel, give your heart and soul to it. Allow it to be outworked in your life, fruitfully. Let me give you three things, three types of fruit to be considering. The knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the truth. Now, for some of us, we love to hear that because we love tucking into the Bible and theology and sermons and We want to get into it. And that's good and that's righteous. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. This is what Paul prayed for the Colossians. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Fully pleasing to him, servant, master, minors, more minors, pleasure of affirmation. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so doing good works was to be accompanied by an increase in the knowledge of God. How can we love the Lord? As our Lord, as our Savior, as our Master, as our Father in Heaven, and not grow in the knowledge of who He is. What kind of relationship is that? In Hebrews, in Hebrews um, 6 verse 1, it talks about the fact that there are those who, ever increasing in knowledge, but never coming to a place of stability where they're able to teach others. You see, there is a sense in which we can't just say, you know what, all we have to do is make sure we're loving others. All of these debates and, you know, discussions around um, theology and doctrine and scriptures, God, that just hurts my head. Maybe you're not that person But that doesn't excuse you from learning of the Lord and getting to know who he is. Learning the scriptures isn't just an exercise in acquiring knowledge. It's actually growing in relationship with the one whom we love and in fact loves us. During the war years, soldiers testified consistently and repeatedly of how the letters from their loved ones helped to keep them going through the hardships of war. It was a means by which they were able to experience that love, albeit remotely. And they were able to have a sense of appreciation for where their loved ones were at, inspiring and stirring them up. It was a means by which even for years away at war, they were able to stay um, connected And in relationship and knowing their loved ones. Um, Hebrews 5.11 to 14. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. Hebrews 5.11 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... This time you ought to be helping to school others, helping to disciple and raise up others, helping others to be strengthened in the the truths of the faith. By this time you ought to be teachers helping others. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. And so, therefore, there's a sense in which we are to be growing in the knowledge of God. And that is an expectation of what fruit would look like in the believer. And so, in 21, apply yourself. You may be feeling quite um, lacking. We've got no excuse in the information age. Everything's available to us at our fingertips. Also, growing in love. John 15, growing in love for the Lord and the lords and the lost. Yes, we are to grow in love for the Lord. We are to grow in love for those who are the lords. We are to grow in love for those who are the lost. And so you can look at John 15, 1 to 17, And um, as it relates to love for the lost, Matthew 5, um, 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Servants, minors, faithfulness, rewards, recognition. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, oh boy, there's a whole Black Lives Matter sermon right in there. Come on now, but anyway. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? I say that word with my chest because it became a word that was very um common uh, in in the in the community. It became the definition of somebody who was off key, who was wrong, who was snaky. They were a pagan. And I felt it as I read that. If you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. As in, be mature. But all of that is all well and good and yet empty without character. Growing in character. When we think of fruit, we think immediately of the fruit of the Spirit, maybe, as we ought to. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the qualities of the king and the characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom. And so there are three ways in which, throughout 2021, you can set your focus on the Lord as it relates to being fruitful in ways that are pleasing to him, knowing that Jesus is gonna come again, and you will receive recognition, even if you're not receiving it now, and you will be duly rewarded, and that reward may be later, but it will be greater, even than the, the efforts that you put in. As we look at the situation that we've been in over this past year, The situation that we're in going into 2021, one of the things that we should really appreciate is that this is what the Bible speaks of as being contraction pains of the new world. In Mark 13, in Luke 21, you don't have to turn there, in Matthew 25, Jesus speaks about the coming of the Lord, the end times. And he uses his phrase in in an old school vernacular, it's birth pangs, meaning contraction pains. And that basically the coming of the kingdom will be preceded by contraction pains. And the thing about contraction pains is that they become more frequent and more intense nearer the arrival of the baby. And if in this example, The baby is the coming of the kingdom, the fulfillment, the the complete delivery of the kingdom. It's been conceived. It's in existence. Hibernating, being nurtured in the womb of the father. And yet, will be fully birthed. Then we have to appreciate that these experiences that we're going through are just... Further examples of those signs that indicate that Christ is coming soon. So please don't allow 2020 to be something that discourages you and causes you to lose perspective. That causes you to cast away your faith. God isn't real. Why would this be happening? God has set a plan to resolve all of these issues once and for all. We're just not there yet. And I want to conclude the parable because there's a warning here for anyone who would resist the rule of the king, who would rebel against the rule of the king. In Luke 19, verse 27, it says, As for these enemies of mine who did not want to reign, did not want me to reign over them, Bring them here and slaughter them before me. Jesus made it clear, if you are not for me, you are against me. There's no in-between, there's no middle ground. Even the servant who was completely self-centered and was not submissive to the will of the, the master had what was given to him taken away. John 15, if... A branch does not bear fruit. It is cut off and cast away to be burned. Fruitfulness is a reasonable expectation that the Lord has of those who are his. And maybe when you think about the knowledge of the truth or the love for the Lord, the lords and the lost, or you think about godly character, and you look at your life and you see that your life is void of that and yet you claim to be a Christian, there's no evidence of that in your life at all whatsoever. You love the world and you do not love the Lord. Then you have to question whether or not you are really in right standing with God. Because this is what the parable confronts us with. It's not just enough to know about the master. It's not just enough to have received goodness from the master, just as that final servant did? What response will you make? So as I pray, encouraging you that the return of Christ is certain, that your life has meaning, value, and purpose in the sight of God, that you have a place in his purpose that is undeterred, regardless of What's going on in the world? What's going on in your world? Let us endeavour to be faithful to that which the Lord has given. Let's pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.